Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast, and we have an incredible lineup coming up here We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, So please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan. and something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model, at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. Today, we're going to talk to a coach who's joined us before on this podcast, although the last time he was at Villanova, now he is at Princeton, and that is Coach Brian Flynn. Coach, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, great to be back. You know, got a lot of got some free time nowadays, so ha- happy to be here. So, Coach, you do have kind of the unique move here. Most of the time, when I talk to guys who move from a college job to a college job, they got to rip their family up or maybe live apart from them for a long time. But your move actually brought you closer to home as far as the commute. And because you don't have the tolls, saved you a little bit of money as well. Yeah, it did. So I, I, went, to, I went from Villanova to Princeton in February of last year. And it was actually it's about 10 miles closer. I didn't have to move. Nobody to change schools. None of that. None of the stuff that's you know really difficult. Which, as I was doing, and it was funny because I going to a new place. It was so different for me 
uh, you know, learning a new system and re- learning who the players are, developing a relationship with them. Uh, you know, my wife would kind of joke with me like, yeah, you're, you're complaining how tough it is on you. You didn't have to move. You know, there's no, there's none of the, the other peripheral things that are super difficult. You know, none of those were – everybody did the same thing but me. So, but now it's it's been a really good deal. You know, I've known I've known uh, Bob Strace, our head coach here, for you know a number of years before I came on, and had a good relationship with Sean Gleason, who left. You know, and had always come here to talk ball. Kind of, you know, Dennis Goldman was the wide receiver coach here, which is a name a lot of people know. Uh, you know, legendary wide receiver coach. You know, Coach Marvin Harrison at Syracuse. So we always come over to Princeton when he was at Princeton and talk football with him. So I was, you know, I was familiar with a lot of what went on around here, a lot of the success. You know, the year before I got here, uh, they scored 47 points a game. They had two receivers who are both in the league now as tight ends, Jesper Horstead and Steve Carlson. Jesper's with the Bears. Steve's with the Browns. And then the quarterback, John Lovett, is with the Kansas City Chiefs as a tight end. So, that you know, we lost kind of all those guys, but it was exciting to me to kind of come and really learn this system that's, you know, been so successful over Bob's 10 years here. So, Coach, there is that adjustment, right? You have you were at Villanova. How many years at Villanova? I know you were there a long time. 14. Yeah, I was there 14 years. So just the adjustment of, of making that move, going to a new place, you know, the probably the change of scenery is great, but then there's those initial challenges, I guess, to get yourself settled in. What was that like for you? If I put it into practice, the one thing I would, I would always tell my incoming freshmen you know, that, okay, you're not going to, it's like learning a new language and you're not going to instantly in your brain, if you're going from English to Spanish or from, you know, French to Spanish, you're, you're, you're in your brain, it's still going to go back to the old language. So it's, you know, it's a process and you learn little bits at a time and, you know, how do you eat the elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. All those things I would preach to my freshmen that like when it was time for me to do it was a little bit more difficult because I had thought, you know, this formation was this to me for, you know, almost 20 years. And now it's, you know, it's not a word, it's a number, for example. So uh, I think that for me was, it really took me the longest, but I think it also benefited me the most because I think there's a lot of things that we do that I never thought to do, you know, because I was so ingrained in my ways in terms of how we got lined up and how we did some things that have really made me a better coach. And, and I just think in general, like everybody talks about, oh, well, it's good to get thrown outside your comfort zone and do something different it's hard to do that when you're in the same place, you know, no matter how much you do, whether you switch positions or, you know, when I was at Villanova, we kind of changed our whole offense from numbers to words in the middle. And that was good. You know, that kept you sharp. And, you know, when we originally went to no huddle, but I think there's really nothing better for you than to, all right, figure this out, you know, because I think you learn so much because there's so many things that we never did before that I think have really made me a better coach and kind of helped me to see the game a little bit differently than I did before, which I think is hard to do when you're, you know, you've been coaching 20 years and you're, you're middle-aged and you, you know, you're kind of, Hey, this is this and that's it. You know? So it's been really, really good. So coach, you're doing things a little bit differently now, right? Princeton, there's, there's always going to be that adjustment. Certainly you're coming over there because, because you've done things well and there's the, the familiarity with, you know, with the staff, as you said, but you know, how are things a little bit different for you now? as far as, you know, the football side of things, the scheme, et cetera? I think, you know, this goes back to Bob's, you know, when Bob first got hired here as the head coach, James Perry was the offensive coordinator. And James was known for, you know, James would do anything. I mean, he was a muddle huddle guy. He's one of the first people to put multiple quarterbacks on the field. You know, he did a bunch of really 
really different stuff and cool stuff that people kind of latched onto and had, you know, had great success. You know, they scored a bunch of points and won the league and all that. And I think that gets, even to this day, you talk about what Sean did uh, before he left and went to Oklahoma State, scored a ton of points, and we had three quarterbacks in the league. You know, I think some of the flashier elements of what we do have really garnered a lot of attention. Uh, and, and again, a lot of that stuff's maybe better because there's stuff that we do that I've kind of never been around. But one of the, the simplest things for me, and a lot of people do this, you know, junior high coaches do it, Pee Wee everybody does it, is our outside guys don't change sides. You know, and for me, for years, you know, was, well, I have to know where the X receiver is. Like, the X receiver is our guy. We want to throw to him on third down. You, you usually have one guy who's different than everybody else. And, and, you know, I'm still a believer in that. I think and we still have ways to do that. But I think in, in the meat of the game, the starting drives, uh, the, the second first down, whatever's going on, I, when the guys don't change sides, they are responsible for knowing everything. But it also, I think, really keeps them involved. So I've, I've been around a bunch of places where if you're the Z receiver, your guy always lines up to the field. You may go hours without a ball getting thrown to you. You may never, ever be in the game plan. Where here, if the ball goes to the right hash and you're on the right, you become the X. And so now you're running tunnel screens and you're running quick. Like everybody kind of does everything. And I really think that's, as a coach, I think that helps you get out of, he can't do this. Wow, he can't run that. Have you ever seen him do it? You're just, you're kind of basing it on, well, I saw him run around some cones. But maybe he's a guy as a screenwriter that steps through tackles and runs through the smoke and is really good at it. So I think that's something, and again, I I go back four or five years ago, I went to Penn State in the spring and was visiting with Joe Moorhead, and, you know, Joe Moorhead said to me, you know, I I teach guys how to get lined up in in five minutes. Outside guys are always off the line. Outside guys are always on the line unless there's a tight end there. Flat receivers are always off. There you go. This is the the three or four formations that we're going to use. And, like, for me, we had always been, oh, well, if it's this play, the inside guy's on, the outside guy's off. This play, he's here. That play, he's there. Where it's, I think that you talk about playing with pace and, and tempo and all the words people use, but I think keeping guys in their spots and keeping it simple in how they get lined up, they're more involved. They, they understand kind of the big picture a little bit better, and it also gives them a chance to show what they can do. I had those things too, Brian, for a long time that just complicated things, and, and then you needed a tag for it, and you needed to talk about it as a coach, and I got to the point with, you know, the receiver alignment and who was on and who was off with, you know, kind of like, like Joe with the starting point. But then I'd tell him like, look, educated freedom. If it's advantageous for you as the inside guy to be up on this particular play, move up and point to that guy to get off and communicate, right? You guys, you guys fix it. If I have to be, be doing it, it's, it just complicates it and let's keep it simple. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's funny as you were talking about the 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 Z receiver going for hours without catching the ball. I can remember is is back, man, at Ohio High School coaches clinic in in Richrod was at West Virginia. So I think this was somewhere right around the early two thousands. And you know he pointed out as he's drawing everything up is like you got a a kid you got to play. It's it's the booster president's son. Like put him right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, put the yeah put the booster president's son out there. Yeah, I remember that. I, I, I was probably at that same one or heard that same one somewhere else. And again, I, I think it what it does 
you know what it just gives you a team rolls coverage one way you, know, you see it more and more we had our quarterback last year could throw the ball 80 yards in the air you know completed 66 percent of his passes kevin davis was just a great player was in the combine did a great job at the combine you know it could could make field throws and you and you very rarely nowadays get open access to the boundary you know you're going to get pressed you're going to get covered two back there but a lot of your access is to the field you know, it's the field slot, it's number one all about there. If you get a guy that can make those throws, you're involving that guy. Otherwise, defense is saying, there's no way this quarterback's throwing the ball out here. You know, we're not messing around with it. You know what I mean? We can move our alley player in, we can mess around with our coverage, we can do all that stuff. You just They're not throwing to him. So, I, again, I just think it keeps you more open-minded. I think it gives you, a, a really, especially in practice, a chance to better evaluate what guys can do. You know, because it's like when, when we start a series, I have – two outside guys with the ones, but one's not necessarily an extra Z. You know, they're kind of, they kind of go up to each other and go, right, what side are you playing? And I go, right, you go left. And then that gives it, so I'm not scripting, you know, I mean, there's certain games are different. Third downs are different in the game and all that stuff, but you're giving them a chance to kind of learn everything and show what they can do. Because there's going to be those things then that remain consistent for you because they're part of what you do as a receiver coach. And I know in the last one, and I've told you this before, like, you know, I first got to know you through, your drill tape or your teach tape that had been circulating and again kind of dating things it definitely was on a dvd when i got it i don't know that even happens anymore here crazy thing with (laughs) definitely with with this all this stuff going on and you know i normally go to the gym and i'm like shoot i gotta work out at home so i find this old like dvd to you know do do a routine and and I literally, like, for two hours, I'm looking for a DVD player in the house. And I find a DVD player, and I can't find the power cord for it that was supposed to be attached to it. It was like, man, we're all digital now. But, yeah, so it was it was the days of the DVD, and I just loved it. I mean, it was a very detailed tape. And even though you didn't have audio in that one, you could see the detail, the way you had done it and was going into it. So, you know, from that standpoint, and as, as a teacher of wide receivers, you know, what things are going to remain consistent for you? You know what, though? I tell you what, we went out to, and again, Sean Gleason was the coordinator here at Princeton. He left and went to Oklahoma State. And one of my first things we did here as a staff was go out there and visit them in the spring. And, you know, Mike Yersich had been there. I played with Mike and Mike, you who's know, now with Texas. So offensively, you know, obviously Sean was, was going to run a lot of what we ran at Princeton. And Mike, you know, I've talked football with him over the years. So it was, it was a really good trip. And the one thing that, again, and on these trips, like if you get 10 things great, five things great, if you get one thing great, you know, that you'll use every day. The thing I got was watching Casey Dunn, who's a receiver coach there, free practice, kind of stand on the sidelines. And just as a warm-up drill, you know, as he had his guys on the far hash, just launch deep balls to his guys, and they kind of fell under it and caught it. You know, and to me, like that's work you never, ever get enough of it during practice. And when you do get it, you know, too much of it, you could put your guys in the jeopardy where they're getting hurt, they're on the ground, there's a hamstring, something like that. And then when you don't get it, all you do is complain about not getting it. You know, oh, you know, we threw in one deep ball the whole practice and you dropped it. Well, you're not doing the other skills that are critical to winning and losing games. You're, you're working on those a lot more. You know, so we'll start, you know, just watching that drill when we went out there. We started every practice since, which we call long ball, where we get to, it's just, just what it sounds like. We set the jugs on the sideline. We fire the ball 50 yards across the field. They track it. They catch it, hands in front of their face. You know, they're not running at any point. You know, I'm like, listen, you are not getting – if you have to run to get the ball, let it sail over your head. 
you know, because they haven't warmed up at that point. God forbid you get somebody hurt in practice. If you can avoid it, avoid it at all costs. Uh, so that's something we're going to work on, you know, all the time. We're going to work on at least one day a week in season. We're going to work on our blocking. We're going to get anytime there's any downtime, we're going to catch as many footballs as we can, you know, because what you lose in practice is almost always individual. So, you know, we, we're going to try to do as much of our ball work kind of around what the practice schedule is. So we'll long ball before, if you're on the special team, you're on the jugs on that special team, so called PAT, you're on the jugs there. If I'm with the returners, if you're not a returner, you're on the jugs. So, you know, we're going to try to fill in those blanks everywhere we can. A lot of the stuff hasn't changed from when I started. I think I do a little bit less because I think there's stuff that I did in the beginning that I think I didn't see showing up on film as much. So it just kind of got to the point where I think I overcoached releases a good probably the first five years of my career. Instead of just telling guys to take leverage wherever they can get it and go as fast as you can and you know be sudden with your lower half and violent with your upper half. It was this whole elaborate set of rules that don't really work for everybody. Now, like when I started in the beginning, nobody ever foot fired. Don't foot fire. Foot fire is the worst thing ever. And I still don't love it. But if you have a littler guy, like a slot guy or a juice guy, who's really good at it, then he can do it. You know, don't ever slide step. Slide steps are bad. Meanwhile, if I have like two or three guys that are good at it. Good, go. Slide step. If you, can be, if you can be low and be sudden when you do it, slide step, get that guy moved, be violent with your upper half and go past him. You know, so I think there's, there's a little bit in terms of there's not the amount of drills that there were. I think practices for everybody has shortened, but I also think I, I've eliminated some stuff that I did and did and did and became like dogma for me. Like, I have to do this. And I'm like, well, it's never shown up on tape. And it's not what we do. If you would come out to practice and watch us now, a good bulk of that stuff is the same. I just think there's less of it. I think the showing up on tape is such an important part. And I think a good exercise for for any coach and really now there's there's not an excuse for anybody at any level to not be doing this the phone is right there in, in your pocket with a great camera on it that you could film things up who cares about the quality or your handshaking or whatever the important part is you got something to teach off of so you can film your drills up and i think if you you're putting together a teach tape which is to me it's still a very very valuable resource both for you as a coach and for your players that Right after you do that drill, you ought to be able to find those cut-ups that show those exact things that you're teaching happening in the game. And there's your measure right there for whether you are running the right drills or not, is that it's showing up on film. And I, The other thing is, for me, and this is for everybody nowadays, like social media, for all the, everybody curses social media and it's the worst thing ever and the internet's bad. And like the resources out there, like I'll just be, you know, randomly on Twitter and like yesterday, a rep popped up from a guy from Minnesota, slide stepping and running a slant. Like that goes on our system, you know, almost immediately. I send that to one of our guys, say, put it up. And then at some point during the year, you know, we're going to be talking about that. And I'm going to have video for it. So I, I think that the other part is it's not just your own stuff. The resources there are, I mean, YouTube and just all this stuff, it's just so more readily available that you can, I mean, I don't think there's anything to me better than sitting down with somebody or sitting in somebody's meeting on watching them. How do they address these things that come up during practice? How do they talk to each other? What, what's the interaction? But I think there's still enough stuff that you can do today without having to fly six hours and go watch somebody practice that it, if you, you build up a library, not just what you're doing, but all the good stuff that you see, you know, I think you're going to have some great resources. 
it's funny, like, I think I see that changing now as all this information, as all this video, is is all these these clinic talks, et cetera, be readily available and easy to get to on social media, right there on your phone, uh, whatever it might be. It's not about necessarily learning like the schemes anymore. You know, those are those are cheap to learn, right? But understanding the why behind those things, and as you said, like problem solving, being able to really get deep detail on things, like that's the challenge for us now as coaches. Like it used to be, like, man, I got to learn that scheme, or you, you know, you're sitting there you know, padding the, you know, this this team doing it again and again in a cut up list that you got or whatever, like. That stuff is readily available. That stuff is easy to do. What becomes more difficult, or I shouldn't say difficult, but the challenge for the coach is to get to the why. And and once you get there, though, like none of this is out of context, right? So just because, you know, Brian Flynn does this at, at Princeton and it really works for them, we have to understand the whole context of it. How does this fit into their particular system? If we're talking about a scheme or how does this release fit into the particular route concept they're running and the timing and the calibration. So, you know, just because you see it in some place, you can't take it out of context. I think you always have to be considering the why behind it and how does this fit in the big picture and the entire package for this particular team before I just take it and adapt, say I'm going to adapt it to mine because it looks good. With all this time we have, like I think we're all, like I've been watching, you know, like all the 24-7 style college football shows, you know, and the thing I kind of listen for more than anything else is like after a team loses, like what is what does the head coach say to them then? You know, what does the coordinator say then on these shows? You know what I mean? Because I think it's easy when you win, you know, you say whatever you want. You know what I mean? You sing a fight song and countdown number of points you scored. We all do all that. But, you know, I think it's all right. That's when I think we all struggle to focus on the right things and – you know, how are you setting up the rest of the day and the rest of the week then in that moment when everybody's looking to, you know, uh, everything that you've worked your butt off is kind of going south, you know? So, and scheme-wise, it's the same thing. Like, I, I think there's, you know, what fits what we do, you know, what are the problems that we had? You know, we know what we do well to, to, to be taught, you know, oh, hey, it's it's good to have stuff affirmed. Oh, yeah, we do that too. You know, that's okay. Yeah, that's Oh, they do this the same way we do it, but that doesn't really do a whole lot of good. You know, like where do we struggle? Oh, we were terrible in the red zone, or we weren't great on third down, or wherever it is. You know, I think that's the. It's kind of the same idea where it's okay. These are neat plays. You know, it goes back to how I was coaching college and high school and all there. But we have guys that can do them. You know, that fit everything else that we're doing. You know, like just like you're saying, I think those are, are harder questions to to get answered. Absolutely. Coach, you know, I asked you a question. You know, what, what do guys, when they see what you're doing, whether that's Princeton as a whole or you as a receivers coach, what do you guys get asked about the most? What are people most interested in? The questions we get are probably similar to what a lot of people get, which is, you know, it's the RPO end of it, the tempo end of it. You know, and, and I think, you know, I don't know if we're doing a bunch of things differently than a lot of people, you know, in terms of just in general, uh, the, in particular and the execution of it. You know, I think it's a little bit different. I had a it was a really good experience for me last year. You know, for the first time ever, I was like the oldest guy in the offensive staff room. So Andy Orrick was our offensive coordinator, played at Princeton, now the O-line coach at Rutgers, left in the offseason. Played O-line, was our O-line coach and coordinator last year. And it just had a, a tremendous relationship with him, you know, in terms of, you know, he was he was very open to input. You know, we would... We would disagree. Sometimes stuff would get run, sometimes it wouldn't, but there was never any hard feelings. 
you know, again, our quarterback coach, Mark Rosenbaum, is a younger guy. Our tight ends coach, Mike Willis, who's now our coordinator, was a younger guy. You know, the dynamic in there was so good in terms of being open to new ideas and, and also not being afraid. You know, no, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid to say that to each other. You know, I think that it, it really kind of got me going, you know, as, as an older guy gave me some juice and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things that we had messed with when I was at Villanova and started in the last couple of years and then, you know, really did a, a, a good amount of stuff last year and are still evolving are the, the wide splits from the outside guys, you know, so pushing number one, you know, in, on the red line in between the sideline and numbers, number two is in the divider between the hash and the top of the numbers and then making, you know, making defenses decide with their nickel or their alley player, you know, are you going to play the run or play the pass? And, and doing our four vertical pass game off those real wide splits and a lot of our RPOs off those really wide splits, you know, and I, I give it again, I give Andy a ton of credit for that because he had been here, you know, in 2018 and, and they were the best offense in the country. You know, they scored 47 points per game. They put three skill guys in the NFL off an FCS team. He doesn't do anything. And he said, no, we're going to run exactly what we ran. And it, because it's not broken and we did for, you know, 99% of it, we did. But the fact that, you know, he was so open to that stuff and you see a bunch of it today, like it goes back to our Bryles Baylor stuff with the wide split Syracuse does it. Kent State did an awesome job with it last year. You know, I thought they were, they did a great job coaching that team and getting a ton out of them. So it, I think that's one of the things like really uh, because of, you know, all the stuff going on now, we really only had a couple teams come in, but that was kind of stuff they asked like, Hey, are you doing the wide split stuff? And what are you doing out of it? You're doing your four verticals, you're doing some RPO stuff, but what's next? What are you doing to break tendencies? And I think that's that's been a lot of fun for us. Since you brought it up, I want to talk to you a little bit about the the wide split stuff. It was something, you know, we utilized the last couple of years. I was coordinating an offense and there were definitely some advantages to it and try to trying to break defenders off and really define who are they really trying to defend here? Make them defend one thing rather than playing in a place where they could be in a position to at least support on two things. So your, your thoughts on the wide splits and the, the, I guess, the best way to use those. Yeah, I think the thing that really, and a lot of us, if you're listening to this or you're you know, watching online clinics, every year, like you have an offense that you really want to follow. And the one year it was Baylor, you know, but it's probably three, four years in a row, whenever that was. And they were really, I'm sure a lot of other people did it, but they were the ones that that kind of took it mainstream. Now, they also, the guys that are in that offense are kind of secretive. You know, they're not big sharers. That's just kind of the nature of, of who, you know, who they've worked for and what, what their thoughts are. But I had watched a lot of it. You know, and obviously they had a bunch of talented guys, Heisman Trophy winner, quarterback, all these draft picks and receivers. But the one thing that stood out to me was when you do that, you know, your slot guy a lot of times is isolated on a safety. You know, again, I thought Mike Yersus did a really good job this Oklahoma State. You know, they play those man quarters outfits. You wide split those guys, and it really just turns into cover zero. You know, with all this all this area to cover and guys. And whenever you're in a one-on-one, you do your wide receiver DBs one-on-ones, you know, it's the slot runs away from the safety all day. He sees five for five. He never loses a rep. And then in the games, like, you don't, I don't think you put that guy enough in those situations to win. Where it's like, well, I think if, if he's tucked in there too far, he really did. sometimes he never gets a safety level, or his breaking point is so far in front of the safety space that he gets the guy drives on him. So, I think that was kind of the tipping point for me, where it was like, listen, our juice guy is usually the little guy in the slot, like most everybody else. You know, how do we 
best get him matched up against the worst cover guy or again, get him matched up against the nickel or alley and then, you know, run pass off of that guy. So uh, I think that's, it's something that's, again, we're still coming up with more and more to do out of it. I think that's one of our, you know, the things we were, we were adding in the off season and really can institute in the spring. It's just going to have to carry over to, to fall camp. But it, it, that's, again, that's something I think that everybody has a guy that can beat the safety who might not be six foot four, but how do we get him in that position? Great points. Coach, the last time we talked, uh, I'm going to give you credit. You, you were the first guy, I think, to come on and talk about analytics in such detail. I think we had some guys mention it before, but you really went into it and talked about the book and how those things were used and introduced me to Rob Ash over at Championship Analytics. And we, then we had him on, him on, and now we've done several podcasts, even had a series in season about analytics. And so last time, that was your share of you know something you wanted to, to really – talk to the coaching community about and share and is an idea that I think is taken off now. So I'm asking you for another one. What's for you, you know, with uh, <laughs> coaches out there right now, what do you feel is really important to share and, and help our coaching profession? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's hard to, to pinpoint one thing. You know, I think that the analytics is, is really at our place here, we buy into it. You know, our head coach, Boston race buys into it maybe more than anybody you know like we've in 2018 we were the number you know i think it was between us and army in terms of number of attempts to go down on fourth down and then in terms of making it we were number one in the country last year we had three or four times you know minus 20 you know fourth and one we're going for it in the first quarter so i think that the buy-in there has been really the key as much as the the analytics part of it in terms of going forward i think we're you're seeing it right now where a lot of us in this profession are really technologically averse. So, ah, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting on social media. You know, I'm not doing an online meeting. And I have some of this in me too. You know, I'm not. But the sooner that you embrace that stuff, I think the better off you're going to be, you know, whether it's recruiting or whether it's teaching, especially now with the constraints that we have with people being, you know, everybody's at home and take care of themselves and, and staying safe. But, I think it's, to me, it's really a, a, there's a fine line going forward to is embracing the technology that we have, you know, the advances that we have, whether it's with the playbook, whether it's with the film, and, the, and you can go up to the point where it still works for you. And then what's, what's not worth it? You know, what's not productive? What doesn't add value? Because we only have so many hours in a day. You know, like I'm getting a lot of, you know, a lot of us are doing meetings on Zoom and stuff like that right now. And I, a lot of people tell me, oh, I'll meet with my guys six days a week. You know, I was like, well, is that really, really? What are you going to talk about with them next week, football-wise? You know, they're not going to run till August. Now, if you check in with them and seeing how they're doing and how their families are and everybody's safe, okay, I get that. But, like, at what point is it diminishing returns? So I think the, the front end of it, like I said, again, a lot of our playbook stuff I think has been really good. You know, we use Adjust Play, which is all online. You know, and guys can access it on their phone, and and the and the they can access it on their iPad, and the drawing is just so much better than all the other stuff I've used, Visio and PowerPoint, and going all the way back to Playmaker Pro. You know, and I think it's just a matter of we all. There's so many things you can use now, and I, I think it's it seems like we have one or two extremes where it's I'm not using any of it, or I'm going to use all of it. I think it's it's somewhere in the middle is you know this. Yeah, this is worth it. It's good for the players. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of money. Because, again, I think, you know, even you you talking about 
you know, DVDs and, and all that stuff. I mean, even in the past five years, it's just there's so many different things you can do that I think it's really – you have to familiarize yourself with it, you know, to determine what's worth it. Because what, the one thing I hate doing is wasting anybody's time, whether it's our players, my coworkers. There's only – let's get we need to get done let's get it done you know but i think it's i think that that going forward is really gonna because in this business we kind of we we don't like to we like to create work for ourselves how much of that is really relevant i think is an important thing to figure out definitely i think that's great advice and well we've we've seen it now we did have Jonathan Brewer on from the U came on and talked about how they use it there and it's you know making a difference for them during this time they're in a shutdown and I mean, you know, it's one of those things as you sit back and think about this now, I think our country's learned a lot about how do you approach a situation like this where you start to see, you know, something something like an infectious disease like this that I don't think this would be the last time that we shut things down. I think we'd be more proactive and and so it might come where you're down for a week or, you know, two weeks or whatever just, you know, in the future, hopefully not, but I mean, I could see it as a, a reality now and so you better have learned from that situation and, and be prepared the next time. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, one of those, one of those guys who's setting up for the end of the world, but just, you know, it, it's a Bill Walsh thing, right? Like be prepared for all contingencies. And, and this was one that kind of caught us off guard. And again, I, I just, I mean, it's, you know, it's a matter of understand where you're at in this, in the calendar year. Like this was the time of year for college coaches where, everything was ramped up to working with the players on the field and in a meeting. And it's like, all right, we lose this time, but we, there's nothing we can fill all that time with if they're not here and we're not there, you know, and, and, and the attempts to do that, like make sure it makes sense. Am I going to get them up at seven in the morning, get everybody on zoom, you know, on a Saturday, like, no, it, it, I just think it still has to pass the common sense test, you know, and it has to be efficient. Like a, an hour on a zoom meeting is like two hours in person. Guys, guys are going to be staring up in the ceiling. There's going to be somebody on their iPhone. You know, there's going to be guys. It's just, it's, yeah, or in bed for crying out loud. So I just think you have to be efficient with everyone's time, you know, especially your own. Absolutely. Coach, I know you guys recruit nationally at Princeton. What areas are you responsible for in your recruiting? Yeah, we switched it up. So we have, I have all of Pennsylvania, all of Ohio. Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia. So kind of, you know, a good amount of where I've been and where I've been from. But it's really a lot of what we do turns into positional recruiting, you know, after that really initial phase. I think that's one thing that's different for me. You know, at Villanova, we were Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, Maryland, you know, kind of driving distance for the most part. Here in, in the receiver room, we only have one guy from New Jersey. You know, we have two guys from Hawaii. We have two guys from Louisiana. So it's it's definitely more of a national recruiting to find the guys that meet the academic requirements. But I also think it's the university also draws more of those kind of guys. The, the type of the type of academics and the league we're in and the quality of the school, all that stuff. You know, it's really more people are more willing to fly from California to come to camp. You know, they'll you know have people from Indiana come to practice for unofficial visits. So you know that that has been different. I love you know the areas that I have are great. You know, I mean, obviously, Ohio, I played at Mount Union, so there's probably 40 Ohio high school coaches that went to Mount Union that were PE guys there, played for Coach Karras. So that's that's been great. Pennsylvania, I've been here for 15 years. I had Western Pennsylvania, Villanova at one point. So it's it's been really, really good. Yeah. Well, 
you should number one you should have drawn that hawaii gig i don't know how you didn't get that one that would have been a good recruiting year but make sure <laughs> i tell you what the, the hawaii guys too man they the, the, my two hawaii guys are great they, they are one is one just won the heptathlon indoor track or start an ex-receiver another one is a true freshman who's going to be a really good player for us it's actually you know, headed out on a uh, Mormon missionary, so they're going to be gone for a couple of years. But the, the Hawaii guys work their tails off. Now, when it's cold out, they have they get all the two Andre and Tomatoa wear all their gear. You know, they got hooded sweatshirts on and sweatpants over everything. But they they go hard, man. They're great. They're great players. Football is important to them. We we really yeah we only have, we have three Hawaii guys on the team. Good really good freshman O linemen and then two receivers so we have we don't do a lot of volume but they've been really really good coach as always i appreciate what you do and appreciate you taking the time last thing before we go i want to make sure everybody has your twitter handle especially if they're in your recruiting areas or have a receiver that they want to get across to you yeah for sure it's coach underscore flynn f-l-i-n-n coach again thank you i appreciate taking the time stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon sounds great thanks you i'll talk to you man. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Uh, Check it out, all of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.